to the Simply Christ Podcast, where Jesus standing tall is all. If you're ready for us, then let's go. Hello, people. I'd like to welcome you to the Simply Christ Podcast. I'm your host, Selam Westmore, and I'm here with... Edemoni. And my brother... Kwame Nchubwetia. Okay. Thank you all for tuning in. We are... Um, this is my first time hosting a podcast, so we are in for a treat. Yeah, we would have to excuse you for for all my uh, all your mistakes you are about to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all my undotted eyes and uh, and your uncrossed teeth. Yes, yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. Okay, so um, our topic for today is a controversial touch not my anointed. Um, <clears throat> over over the period I was preparing for this, I watched a few sermons and and looked at so many views. I mean, apart from the part, the fact that there was Bible studies and things, I still looked at these videos and there were quite interesting views out there mm. about the way people think about the anointed and what is the anointed and the whole verse. So I, I want us to first discuss the scriptures where it appears because it happens to appear just twice in the Bible. In First Chronicles chapter 16, it appears there and then it appears in Psalm 105 verse 15. And I want us to have a discussion around the context of, this, of the, these scriptures. And um, Adam, what's your opinion about these well, yeah, um, I think the, these two, uh, the, the ones you mentioned are, um, uh, let's say, uh, David, traditionally associated with David, uh, expressing how, um, uh, expressing himself in, in a psalmic form, so if you want, in a song. And so, in both ways, if you, if you actually pay attention to what is being said, uh, in those verses, you would find that David is the the writer or whoever it is. David is just um, talking about how God had had basically recounting the history of the people of Israel to the point where they are now living in their own land. And so here it's it's you can see it's talking about how God protected Israel in the wilderness. All the way to when uh, and and all that they faced in the wilderness, to when they finally arrived in uh, in the promised land, okay. and God is then referring to uh, Israel as His uh, anointed. They yeah. are his, his prophets to the rest of the world, and that nobody should touch them because He was guiding them to their destination. So, is it God saying it, or it is? Um because for me, when I read the scripture, it sounded like, oh, a poet had written something about his opinion of what God's thoughts could be. Well, yeah, so um, it's, a, it's an attempt to recount history as, yeah. they, um, as they understand it, or as, as has been told uh, David, let's say. Okay. It's his attempt to recount history. And, and the, the people of Israel have always said that God was with them through all their, their difficulties, they had a, a special relationship with Yahweh. So, of course, um, the fact that we're able to go through all those difficulties and arrive in uh, uh, a land that God had promised would be theirs, they would consider it to be God who had guided them through yeah. and had prevented anybody from you know, standing up against them or okay. fought okay. against their enemies in the process. Interesting. Because I see it's like somebody sharing a testimony. Kwame, what's your opinion? Well, I think I side with um, Adam on, on that. I mean, it's an objective look at the scripture, so it's not like an opinion thing. It's about David thanking God for what he's done for them in time past, kind of. Um, just, he's just um, lyrically going on and on about what God has done for them and recounting the stories of Israel about who they were, nobodies, and God brought them through difficult times, protected them as a special group of people. And uh, I think it's in that context that he brings up that word specifically that, oh, like, 
even when they were moving amongst the people, God kept them and he said nobody should touch his anointed group of people. Even though they were a very small group of people. So, I mean, I think for anybody who is trying to read the scripture and understand it as a psalm of David, I think it's quite straightforward. So I agree with that. Wow. So, so where is the confusion coming from? Because if it's quite straightforward, and it looks like somebody is sharing a testimony and saying that this is um, so it's, they are putting their own words to it. That's what we are saying, right? They are putting I put my own words into it to say um, it is as if God said that they shouldn't touch His anointed. But I mean, that's a fine thing. I think I want to go back into the story of the of the Exodus when they been tortured or at that time they were not um, anointed in when they were in Egypt yeah I mean you would say that no it's 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 not a time of being in the wilderness that's the where God's anointed they were God's anointed because he had already chosen them by virtue of his 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 is having chosen their father Abraham and so, I mean, Deuteronomy, uh, I think Deuteronomy 4 even speaks of that. that he, he rescued them out of Egypt because of the love he has for Abraham. So, by virtue of that, they were already anointed. Yeah, they were already yes, anointed. But they God's suffered a lot. In, in they suffered a lot. I mean, yes, of course. That's in true. The, yeah, so, the, so, I mean, for me, it feels like if they were so anointed, that because of the anointed, they were not supposed to be, yes, they are not supposed to be touched. I don't understand why we should take somebody's poem, well, literary work, mm-hmm. and, and say it, is, it means that. Okay, so that brings us to the, the way it is thought about in, in Ghana now, basically, that people are so anointed. And I think I actually saw a video of Benny Hinn Mm-hmm. making reference to the scripture and saying that um, one preacher um, one preacher came to him and testified that he, he, God told him that he should come and apologize to him and that was the cause of his sickness yes, yes. and something like that. And, and basically, is that, what, where is all this concept coming from? Adam. Um, uh, <laughs> so generally, you would find that it's it's been it's been there. There are places. There are other places in scripture where uh, people seem to have either challenged or spoken negatively of a certain. Uh, biblical figure authority and the, the some consequence has come to that person now those some of the passages we see in the old testament like that we don't actually hear any quote saying touch not my anointed whatever yeah. but just because those things happen to those people and by virtue of this standing up to these authorities people then point to that and say uh-huh have you seen this person you know uh, went and raised questions about this person, uh, and, and, and God did this or that to that person. So, it's justification for this notion that if a, a certain leader is chosen by God, then you do not have the right to question them. Okay. Uh, or else you will be punished by God. Okay, I'm coming. So basically, I want us to go into some of these stories. Um, the story of um, first, the story of Moses and his sister and Aaron. So basically, Moses, I, I don't know, Kwame? Yes, I'm you here. Can, so you, can you recap the story shortly and then just give us the context of that story? What exactly happened to between Moses and his sister and, yeah, and Aaron? Well, okay, let me, I'll say that, let me say something generally about it and probably Adam can go into the details. Okay. I think um, it's important for us to remember as we have this discussion that um, none of these stories uh, even are any close to a New Testament understanding of 
God's people to begin with, yeah. or any specific office, in, or any specific role people play in God's church or in His kingdom. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good to go through these stories, but it's not a premise, whether right or wrong, no matter how close a story gets mm, to yeah. anything at all that we have in the New Testament to even begin with. Yeah. Because there's nobody in there, in the stories, whether Moses or David or Elisha or Saul yeah. or Peter or any of those people who qualifies as, as the most anointed like, person. Yeah, no, like who comes close to the role of the pastor as we know it in no. um, local um, institutional churches okay. we know okay. now. So they are really a far cry away. I mean, a lot of water has gone under the bridge, and I think it's important to remember that. So that okay. we remember that in the, in the midst of looking at these scriptures, we are not trying to justify or deny something. We are just saying that uh, even the way people read these things are wrong to begin with because you can't even read, even if it was true that Moses' Moses's sister Miriam did something wrong. Moses was not a pastor. Moses doesn't qualify as a pastor. The role Moses was playing in ancient Israel has nothing to do with the pastoral role in the New Testament at all. Mm -hmm. The yeah. same with Elisha or yeah. Elijah. Yeah. Actually, Elisha was... What Elisha did in the cursing of the youth was a very, actually, if you come to understand it very well, it's something that uh, doesn't really even reflect the heart of God, to be yeah, frank with yeah. you. He made I mean, serious yeah, mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, are jumping, you. you are jumping and, over all the stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just giving a roundup of the whole story to tell you that none of them, David didn't play any role which qualifies him to be a pastor. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. uh, we can see, stick, uh, go through them one by one. Yeah. But it really has nothing to do with pastoral roles today to begin with. So that's okay. the general value I want us to give yeah. before Adam goes into the individual stories. People will use to proof text this. Yeah. I mean, right. we are discussing them be and trying to get the context because these are the story, likely stories that people run to. Mm -hmm. Mm. to actually defend this. Mm -hmm. So we want to like delve into it and then get the real story and the situation around it so that we can basically determine before we come into the New Testament and have a discussion about the New Testament and what's going on there mm. as well. Okay. And yeah, then, but well, okay. so I mean, I totally agree with where come, come, yeah, the totally. premise emphasis there. And the point is, it, it, it's not even necessary to, ad, to address all the all individual them, story, yeah. stories. Once you... If you are going to make a general a principle of something, then of course, once you have uh, two or three instances where the general principle doesn't apply, it tells you that you are actually your generalization mm -hmm. is false, yeah. flawed. And the the one that is most prominently held up is the example of uh, Moses and uh, Miriam yes, yeah, and, and uh, Aaron. Mm. Okay. Now, there is something interesting when I actually took the time to read um, the story. Um, I think the story is in Numbers chapter 12, right? Yep. Now, let's just start from the very beginning. It says, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. So this is verse 1. Then immediately verse 2, he says, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And this is weird. Because if the whole point is to complain about Moses marrying a Kushite wife, mm -hmm. why is the very next verse about God only speaking through Moses and not speaking through us? What has that got to do with his Kushite wife? Yeah. And it, the Kushite wife is just an excuse for them to raise something new. And the, what we're raising in that whole thing is Moses has become uh, like the only voice through whom God speaks. Doesn't God speak through us as well? Yeah. Can't we, aren't we legitimate uh, leaders within this, uh, amongst these people? Because let's not forget, scripture actually calls uh, Miriam a prophet. Yeah. A prophetess. Yeah. You get it? And so if you continue the story, actually, 
Um, in verse 4, and at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, this is what God said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, revealed myself to them in visions. And then he continues and continues. And all it is talking about is the fact that Moses is a superior prophet than them. Yeah. It has got nothing to do with the original premise, which is, oh, you are going to marry a Kushite wife. Yeah. So this whole story is a story of people, um, of, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story where these two people are complaining about their loss of power because uh, uh, um, Moses seems to be you know, much more like the only one that God speaks to yeah. and so on and so forth. So and they're it's, actually it's, it's, questioning God. Exactly. So they're actually questioning God. There, It's not about Moses. It's, it's not really about Moses. Yeah. And you see Moses didn't defend himself, which is contrary to what a lot of our people tend to do today yeah. when, they can, when they receive any small criticism. And you find that criticism itself is not really... It's just a diversion to actually raise an issue against Moses. Mm. So at the end of the day... This, um, which we use as a basis to say you dare not question a certain man of God, yeah, is actually flawed. And I'm, I'm going to give you a counter example. This same Moses, right, in uh, is it Exodus 18, his father in law comes to visit him, Jethro, yeah, and, and he I'm says, ah. him. But Moses, if you get up and you sit down, and all these people have to come and you know. You have to, uh, you have to yeah. administer uh, wisdom and justice and whatever to everybody. You alone cannot be doing this job. Yeah. In fact, he, he says he says you are doing it wrongly. Yeah. So appoint others who would help you do this. And Moses is like, mm, okay, you have a point. I mean, this is somebody getting up and telling Moses that you are doing it wrong. Is it anointed? Yes, Prophet he is supposed most. to be the anointed whoever who, you know, yeah, the best thing since sliced bread, whatever it is, is, is final. And somebody is able to come and tell him that, no, no, this is where you are. You are going to, you can't do the work. You alone cannot do it. And this somebody who God himself has come to defend in front of exactly. Aaron. This same person is uh, within the same person's life. You have people coming up to him and telling him, you are not doing it right. Yeah. And you have people also coming up and making some other accusations. But we seem to not care much about, about. clear cases where somebody is also coming to give him advice on how he's doing something wrong and should do it better. Yeah. And we are only focused on this story of uh, Miriam and, and, uh, and Aaron because it is beneficial to us making an argument that people should not... Uh, question us when we do what yeah. we do. I, I, I think also, um, like Kwame brought up the issue of Elisha mm -hmm. and the question of the youth. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we should, we should tell that story well because we know that it's not a depiction of, of what Christ is you talking know, before, about. Before we even get there, you, my, one of my worries is there is the assumption within a lot of Christianity that once a story is recorded in scripture, Mm -hmm. It means God has in support yes. of yeah. that. Yeah. But that is yeah. a very, very flawed way of looking at scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Scripture, it's a record of things that happened. Yeah. And it's written from the perspective of the human being who is documenting the thing. Yeah. And thinking whether rightly or wrongly that this action may have been condoned by God or not condoned by God. I, I think I think I think you're on point. I think that the issue we would let's move let's move to the New Testament. Mm. Let's talk about Ananias and Sapphira and Peter. Mm -hmm. What happened there? I don't know. Kwame, do you have Kwame. any, any yes. thoughts on that? Okay, so let me recap the story first, and probably I don't okay. take over. So I think there's a story. I don't want to read the text. People have read it over and over. It's a story about. Um, the early church making decisions on collections on 
how much and what they wanted to. Everybody was almost bringing everything mm. uh, for mutual benefit of everybody. Yeah, and these were all and everybody was free, free to bring what they wanted yes. to bring. And then um, this couple called Ananias and Safira um, went to sell their plot of land, their belongings, and decided to bring only a part of um, the proceeds uh, to the believers' meeting instead of bringing everything. I mean, when they came, um, please, 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 relax. I think Peter just hold on, them hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold on there. So does it mean that they had to bring everything? Um, that's where I'm heading towards. I okay. mean, Peter just asked them that, is this everything? And then they lied about it. So it's more of a matter of lying. They could have just said, no, this is just part of the proceeds. Mm -hmm. right? Okay. I mm -hmm. guess so. I don't think the issue was about bringing everything. About it was about probably the lying and um, God trying to kind of set an example or something. Because to be frank with you, that story is a very weird one. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it, there are so many things that are weird in the, 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 the record of the Acts of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. Like people being carried away by flight because they went to evangelize and all that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, nobody makes theological deductions fully from mm -hmm. the book of Acts. Because a lot of weird things happen there. Mm -hmm. And I will admit that this Ananias and Sapphira story is one of the weirdest ones in there. Yeah, because it's just a matter of lying. What, what, I, of what lying I find, yes. I, very seriously. Yeah, so just to God, support what you are, you are, you are saying. Of people. It, it, it's a matter of lying. This is not a challenge to um, a leader or like yeah. Peter's authority. And, this and is not a criticism of Peter. So that... Uh, if they die, then it is because they criticize yeah. Peter. But Peter sure, actually sure. said, so in the text, Peter actually says that, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Exactly. So yes. it's like, so, so like in the context of Moses and his sister, it, is, it was, God felt like it was directed at him. Yes. And he dealt with the matter. Mm -hmm. So this is, so do we rightly say that um, Ananias and Sapphira basically lied to God mm -hmm. and were not honest to God and therefore there was a show God decided to show the people that you shouldn't we don't want your we don't want your your offerings we don't want your lies basically just tell the truth and it and it had nothing to do with Peter not at all okay all right okay okay so I I think once these are clear we can move on um so now we talk about the new testament and we talk about jesus christ and we talk about um was jesus christ anointed and and what kind of anointing was did he carry that he didn't do do deal with anybody under these circumstances but because i know that he dealt with a tree with his anointing. Mm -hmm. He used the tree. <laughs> he dealt with some tree. Yeah, he cursed some fig tree. Yes, yes, so, yes. I mean, if he has the, the power to curse the fig tree, mm -hmm. he has the power to curse anybody. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. And the people who he healed, he could have even maimed some of them. Mm -hmm. The people who came to catch and arrest him, he could have destroyed them by speaking mm -hmm. one word. Mm -hmm. But they were all still. So, what is the concept of Jesus Christ when it comes down to dealing with people and what what's jesus christ's attitude like because we are supposed to be like christ as christians what is the jesus christ attitude we we are supposed to have um i think i think let's let's first discuss who are the anointed yeah let's discuss who are the anointed so 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 if we are speaking specifically from where people like to quote which is the first chronicles one and then the psalm 105 obviously the anointed there if you read the text itself, yeah the anointed yeah. is Israel as a nation, mm. and and an anointed people is just a, a, a people who are chosen for a particular task, and it's the, it's 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 been obvious throughout Israel's history that God has chosen them for a purpose. Which one of the problems with a lot of uh, understanding about scripture is um, is when we we forget that chosenness is always for a purpose. Chosenness is not chosenness is not because you you are any better than somebody else, mm. um, but you are you are chosen for a task. 
and so when God calls Israel his, his, his uh, anointed or whatever, it's it's simply a, anointing a person was a way to say that this person was, is chosen for a particular task, which is what happens to David. He is anointed as a leader of the people of Israel. Same for Saul. But that's just a means of saying, okay, I've chosen you for a particular task. And yes, in that respect, Jesus was anointed because he's the son of God. If he is the, he's the Messiah, he's the chosen one. For that work. Uh, yes, for, to, to lead God's people, to reveal God's way to God's people. So, I mean, it's instructive that Jesus is anointed, and yet he takes a lot of criticism from a lot of people. He doesn't call down fire and brimstone on anybody. Mm. Uh, so, uh, for, for us, even if we are going to look at the picture of being anointed, yes, Jesus is anointed. And we who are in him, all of us who are in him, are anointed. Just like the whole Israel is anointed. The whole Israel, as a nation, is anointed. And so any Christian is anointed. And that's the end of the matter. Okay. They are anointed by virtue of being in Christ. Mm. So Not we are a chosen generation, a royal priest to the holy nation belonging to God. Yes. And I, I tend to be worried about using the term chosen generation chosen. as in King James Version because <laughs> I think some people, some people, it gives them a certain sense of superiority. It's, Over it's a chosen nation. Yeah, a chosen nation. Yeah. So, yeah. Kwame, do you have anything? Uh, a couple of things related to that uh, yeah. so that we can move on. Yeah. Um, as them has rightly said, I think... Um, Everybody knows that Jesus is the truly anointed one. We can trace it from Isaiah, go on and on. And of course, if we are just to delve back in the Old Testament, remember that um, the three groups of people who were anointed, physically anointed, were the priests, the yeah. prophets, and the kings, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and Jesus, in various ways, served those roles, fulfilled them, and perfected them. And uh, that's why he's like the true embodiment of the anointing or the anointed one. And I think um, in many ways we we pay lip service to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration mm -hmm. because that was a big deal right there. Because you had Moses who represents the law and you had Elijah who represents the prophets all coming up and then with Jesus. And then God took them away, the two of them away and it, only Jesus was seen there. And as the disciples who were up there looked on, the voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It's more like, this, this is the peak of prophecy. This is the peak of priesthood. This is the peace, uh, peak of uh, everything. Now, everything is embodied in this person. Listen to this guy. And I think the life of Jesus Christ showed that he was like the full representation of all that those people were supposed to be, but couldn't do it perfectly. Mm. And if we know that the church, the body of Christ here, has a head, and all instructions and directions come from the head, and he is the anointed, then the anointing, the way the anointed one lived and told us to live, should be what we aspire to and should be the life which flows through us to influence the world. And one quick thing that came to mind as we were talking about the Peter Ananias affair, Ananias and Sapphira story, is this Judas Iscariot thing. So if we remember the Judas Iscariot story very well, remember that um, uh, when they were preparing for the Passover, right, Jesus told Judas Iscariot that um, whatever you are planning to do, get yes, up and quickly. go and do it yeah. quickly. Remember that part? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and the and the and the writer of the, the scripture records that oh, because he was the one who kept the public purse, yeah. they thought Jesus had instructed them him to go and buy something for yeah. their use. Procurement. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, for yes, for procurement. <laughs> That's the right word to use in this climate that we are in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, procurement. But then it records elsewhere, even at the time that the woman was pouring oil at the mm -hmm. feet of Jesus, yeah. that when Judas Iscariot complained, um, it wasn't because he was caring, it was because um, he, wa he was a thief mm -hmm. and yeah. he wanted them to keep the money. Like he was a thief. So publicly, everybody, Jesus knew that he was a thief. 
but from the way he recounted the story and from the way things happened um, at the Passover, it looked like throughout the time that Jesus worked with the disciples, none of them, Jesus never told any of them that Jesus Iscariot was a thief. Can you imagine? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus, the Son of God, the one who knows everything, the truly anointed one, worked with Judas Iscariot for three years with 11 other people. And then none of them, Jesus didn't tell anybody in private that, hey, Chalakwa only wear a sikano. Jesus never complained. Look at the attitude of an anointed person. And he didn't curse him dead. He didn't let him fall down and die. Like Peter, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, things happened with them in front of Peter. So, I mean, to give you a, a, a different way of looking at some of these things that happened in the book of Acts, that uh, probably anointing doesn't mean killing people, it doesn't mean pushing people down, it doesn't yeah. mean many of the things that happen in the churches that we know of and we refer to as, ah, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Probably that's very far off from what Jesus and um, the early followers of Jesus would have identified with the anointing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, let's let's be upfront about this. Um, uh, we, we, I think we are Christian leaders like to couch this in all sorts of language. But the, for me, the fundamental thing is a thing of control and power. Yeah. Who benefits the most by telling you to shut up your mouth and let him do what he's doing? Who benefits the most? The person who benefits the most is the one who feels he is in power and has the uh, chance to control things and yeah. doesn't want anybody to raise uh, a question about their behavior. And that is why they would be the people who would be preaching this, because it is beneficial to them. It, it allows them to do what they want to do without any form of questioning. And so the, uh, it's very easily they will happily distort uh, stories from, the, uh, from uh, the Old Testament and so on, or stories from elsewhere, just to support their, uh, their position. Whereas we are Christians, and as Christians, Jesus being our head, and he being our example, being the model for our life, this Jesus Christ was uh, uh, open to the most criticisms there was, and all he did was, yeah, correct people if they were wrong. Tell them uh, what they were doing wrong. And if, God, if, if, if the way they were, leading, they were living their life was going to lead, into their own misfortune, tell them about it. But it's not because they ever came to ask Jesus. Like Jesus didn't say, "What right do you have to come and ask me a question? Yeah. What right do you have? Like, who are you? Or when did you start ministry? <laughs> or uh, you know, the usual um, defenses. You are my son. Yes, uh, you are my son. What son right do you have to come in? The father. Mm -hmm. And all this. Uh, airs of pomposity. It, I mean, it, it's all covering. just pride. I'm your covering. Yes. <laughs> it's all just pride because the New Testament tells us one thing and one thing only that will help us to avoid the sin of pride and it is submission. Yeah. It says that each and every person must submit to one another. Jesus Christ says if we are going to be able to enter the kingdom then we must be like children. Mm. So, I mean, we should be open and ready to submit even to the, to the list of these to tell some sense into our heads when we are going wrong. Yeah. Is it, is it I, I want us to go to um, the, the Passover mm. where Jesus Christ, because I, I think that there's a lesson of um, Jesus Christ teaching the disciples the humility and the kind of leadership that he wanted us to ascribe to. Yes. So Jesus Christ <clears throat> washed the feet of the disciples. Yeah. And Peter is like, don't wash my feet. Mm -hmm. um, you, I should be washing your feet, not mm -hmm. you washing my feet. Mm -hmm. And Jesus Christ said that this is what the world does. The world makes you wash the leader's feet. Yes, exactly. But amongst you as Christians, so. it should not be so. Mm -hmm. So we should wash each other's feet. Exactly. So, and, and the washing each other's feet, um, I mean, in the, in the scriptures, we basically have, see 
where it says we should submit one to another, we should confess our faults one to another. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, what do you, what do you say about this? Because most of these are actually telling us, and this is instruction. I think this is like the leadership that we have that is failing us because we have decided to be like the world mm -hmm. and, to do, and to lead people like the world, yes. to let people know who has the authority mm -hmm. and to feel like we need to show our strength and our, and our, our great, great power by asserting it over other people. Mm -hmm. And Jesus Christ never did that. Yes. And amongst the disciples, he was actually trying to teach that by example. So we never had any situation where um, people came to Jesus Christ and, and Jesus Christ was like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. Who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Because in, in essence, actually people, they almost killed him mm -hmm. when he argued with them. Mm -hmm. They actually felt like they had more authority, so mm -hmm. they were plotting to kill him. Yes. And Jesus wasn't plotting to kill them. <laughs> and or to curse them. Yeah, or, or to, to curse them. Because yeah, Jesus Christ just needed to speak. Mm and something was going to happen to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so, I mean, right now I want us to talk more about, you see, the, the way people are saying that God is speaking to them about these situations, like, like um, Benny Hinn said, um, what was this, was Kenneth Copeland, mm. who came to him and said that um, God told him not to touch God's anointed. Mm. Uh -huh. And because he spoke something, he spoke against the man of God and he said some things that he didn't like and didn't understand. And, and there are people who actually quote the scripture, who am I to, um, to judge another man's servant? Mm -hmm. Like, who am I to judge God's servant? Mm -hmm. Who am I to speak against God's servant? Mm -hmm. um, don't we have examples in the New Testament of people, the disciples practicing this kind of leadership? The, the, the point is whether we want to take it seriously or not. Mm. It's not that there is a lack of examples, mm. but whether we really want to take it seriously or we want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, like Paul says, we want to go back under, uh, uh, under captivity whilst he, he, uh, uh, he, Christ has brought freedom. Mm. Too many of us love being under captivity. And, and, and the worst captivity that, you know, really works to the advantage of these Christian leaders is fear. But the scripture says he has not given us a spirit of fear. But all they need to do is to put fear of God in you that if you criticize us, then something will happen to you. God will in some way, shape or form punish you. Mm. And totally ignore everything, example, from Jesus' own life and example, all the way to all the writings of Paul in his letters mm. to the church. And the number of times he calls people to submission and to humility, to confessing to one another, to carrying each other's burdens and all these. We, we, are, we, we want the Christianity we want. <laughs> and that Christianity we want is not Christianity, it's, it's Biblianity or whatever it is we want to call it. <laughs> we want Old Testament Christianity, yeah. where we will continue to live in slavery to so-called men of God, and they get to dictate to us by using fear, so they get to do whatever they want and get away with it. So as for examples, there, is, there isn't a shortage of examples. Mm. It's a question of whether we are willing to take them seriously and whether we understand what we are about. Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Or we are disciples of, I don't know, is it David or Moses or I don't know which, or Elijah or whatever. <laughs> you know, as Kwame said, the, the Mount of Transfiguration clearly showed that the law and the prophets, the law represented by Moses and the prophets written, represented by Elijah, Elijah. Mm. are now subservient to the Son of God himself. Mm. But we still like the law and the prophets so that we will get what we want or be, be put under the slavery by our, our leaders. And our leaders will always go back to those places because it is beneficial to them. Which is why I keep saying, wh whose benefit is it that we keep going back to those places uh, to preach the fear of God into other Christians. Is it to the benefit of the ordinary man 
or it is to the benefit of these leaders? Yeah, okay. Me, I want to look at it from this point of view that, okay, um, Kwame, I want your comments on this, that it is that people have been, um, have decided not to unlearn what they, what the system they came out from has taught them and, and they are just adding the Christianity to it. So in the, in the sense that um, we are basically not trying, because I think that it has been given to us through some form, so the kind of Christianity we have been born into is you have to unlearn that mm -hmm. because most of the leaders we have basically came from some points of Christianity, mm -hmm. some kind of Christianity, mm -hmm. and, and haven't assessed the kind of Christianity and haven't looked at the scriptures. I think we, we fail to go back to the scriptures and say, this is what Christ did, and therefore we must follow Christ. But we have been given something that we have not examined. We have not cross-examined, tried to figure out why are we doing something. Because we are doing it because it is, this is how it has been done. So, Kwame, yes, your sir. comments. So, I don't know how to even keep this simple. So, um, let, me, let me try and approach it from an angle that would bring some balance in here, okay? I don't think the discussion here is a call for the abolition of the clergy in, in inverted commas. Mm. I'm actually calling for an exaltation of the laity in inverted commas. Mm. So I'm not saying that, hey, some people are clergy, so we should disband the clergy. I'm not that deluded. It won't happen. <laughs> All we are trying to conscientize people about is all of us are the clergy right mm -hmm. and all of us are the laity actually other people have spoken about it on different platforms and the word clergy of course we know where it comes from and where we find it in the scripture where is found in the scripture that kleros the greek word kleros it means people it means the people of god it doesn't mean a special group of people the word laity which is laos also means the whole people of god wherever you find it in the new testament Mm. So whether you choose the word clergy or laity, and you are looking at it in scriptural terms, it means all of us, all of us are clergy, all of us are laity. And of course, as I said, a lot of ink has been spilled on this, how we came about this whole clergy-laity division, where we've restricted some people to a pew, and some people are on the pulpit. So if you have the opportunity to hold a microphone, you are the anointed. If you don't have the opportunity to hold the microphone, sit down there and listen to us. We speak to you. We make decisions for you. So it, it is something which has not, it's not a 10-year thing. It's not a 100-year thing. Yeah. It's been which has gone on for over thousands of years now. Yeah. And of course, we just have to dig into our historical books to look at the harm which it has brought us. But bringing it down to our Ghanaian context, we shouldn't also forget that there are cultural reasons why people will want this to exist yeah so i must talk about it from the viewpoint of what the people in authority or the leaders the power and the privilege they enjoy and why they want to keep it that way but i always like to look at some of these things from the other point the people who sit in the pew on a regular basis i mm. think they also want this to perpetuate mm. surprisingly because culturally even when we have a problem with someone, our culture tells us about mm -hmm. So you reach out to somebody to go and state your case for for you. Yeah. Of course, it can come very legally and it becomes lawyer and all that. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of always seeking an elderly person to speak on your behalf, even when you are going to talk about a personal issue, mm -hmm. even marriage issue, whatever, you have to go and look for an elderly person who is respected to make your case for you. So culturally, and I think it's not just in our culture, it's in various cultures, people look for mediators, right? We always look for a mediator because we are never fit enough to talk to the highest person in authority. And of course, in the Israelite culture, it was the same. God wanted to speak to all the people at Sinai, and they're like, no, 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 we don't want to speak to God. We want to speak. You, Moses, go and listen to God and come and tell us what God sees. Yeah. So you realize that at the end of the day, 
we our disposition as human beings is not to be in contact with the creator our lord and that's 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 the whole dream he has that's the whole dream of the new testament that he wants to live with us he wants to abide with us so even now that he has turned the curtain into two he has opened the gate that hey come and let's dine together we still want we to be right so things like can you imagine if you like go to any local church and let the pastor determine from today onwards and say you know what for the rest of this year we want everybody to take part in the preaching from next week we are we are moving from seat to seat you are preaching this week <laughs> next week you are preaching you see how many people will partake in this people are not anointed enough no don't feel they are not enough. ready to do it yeah. even when you have bible study group meetings and you say hey everybody share your view you just have three people talking and everybody has been quiet listening why mm. because the whole point this whole point that god was bringing in about this mutual edification this one another in eh? that's why we are saying that the new covenant is a new way of being a human being it's a new way of having community that's why it is different it, it, it can't be it can't be like any other thing it can't be like any religion it can't be like any grouping it is a new way of life with god's very life flowing through it that's why when you see a proper new covenant group of people you can see the divine life flowing through them. It doesn't look like any church meeting. It doesn't look like anything. It looks like God is at work through people. But to finish, I want to say that in as much as I admit this clergy lady division and the structures and the institutions which we have built, they are there, they are big, they are mega. They are not going anywhere. Don't not don't let us not get deluded. The churches and the institutions, the big structures are not going anywhere. But the point is there have been people who have the heart of Christ, who have even served as pastors, right? And have worked within these systems to bring reformation in a way that reveal and reflect the heart of Christ. If I'm to call on top of my head people who I think have like shown this light to me, that Please, it's don't possible. Do. Don't. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, let me think of five names. Like Robert Miriam Achain, mm. Scotland. He died early, 29 years old. If you get and just read about Robert Mary Machain, mm. you'll be shocked about how this guy had the heart. Um, somebody living like Toza, people just know about his preaching. But when you yeah. go and read about his church life, like as a leader of a group of people, mm. um, somebody like Eugene Peterson, who just passed away a few years ago. I mean, if you Google anyone on YouTube, and he, I think many of his books are like must reads for anybody who is into theology. His book, which has really made a big impression on me, is The Contemplative Pastor. And everybody knows Eugene Peterson because of his translation into the message, mm, the, the message, message Bible. Bible that we have. Mm. And Eugene Peterson was a wonderful pastor mm. because he understood the heart of God, yeah. right? And all of these people are people who are burdened with humility. When you hear them talk, when you hear them write, things you realize that they've, they've they and they're always calling for the division between the clear clergy and the lady because mm. they've understood the heart of god and even though they are within this flawed system in spite of the flawed system god is still at work to bring his power and his yeah. work through it yeah. so it's possible it's okay. possible okay so we are saying that um despite the system that we are locked we feel locked in Yes. It is possible to actually do the right thing. And, yes. and and because mostly it's based on the individual and your attitude towards accepting what Christ has laid yes. down and just being able to um, work in that space. You know, work but, with others. Yes, to work to with others. Yeah. To the direction that Jesus himself paints. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because earlier on today, I was listening to, um, I mean, these are closing remarks. Basically, I was listening to um, some, a podcast, and some people were talking about um, Bill Hybels. Um, yeah. And they were talking about the fact that their experience with him, their encounter with him wasn't the best. And they felt like, what kind of um, unchristian kind of attitude this was? Um, it feels like the kind of leaders we are having in, the, in Christendom basically are 
are, are becoming a bunch of, they are becoming people who are sounding very knowledgeable and coming up with very, being charismatic and pulling people along, but having the wrong attitudes, having the wrong characters. I mean, they don't love people like they should. They don't, they are not humble. Mm. And, and in itself, it means that we have a Christ, we have a different form of Christ, which is not showing in our lifestyle. And, it, and we, are now, we are now carrying a Christ that is speech, and our lifestyles mm, are different. Speech and performance. Yes, and then leaders are coming to, because we are, we are hearing people say that I am not perfect, and you are not perfect, therefore allow me to be. <laughs> because I should be whatever I can, and I'm not Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I feel like that is the point here. We are supposed to be like Christ, mm -hmm. to change all our attitudes. Mm -hmm. And um, Adam, closing remarks. I mean, yeah, to, to, to be on a path of, of transformation, the whole point of Christianity is that the more we take Jesus Christ seriously, the more he actually transforms us. Mm. The things we want to see, for example, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the, sorry, the fruits of the Spirit, mm. uh, you know, uh, love, joy, and, and so on. Peace, yeah. um, patience. Patience, kindness, yeah. and so on. All these things are what the real measure of our Christianity. Mm. It's not the Plenty. humongous uh, programs and whatever. Is that Raising the dead? No, it's none of that. So. How, uh, I mean, our, our current systems, the more the ordinary uh, people in the pews can wake up to this reality, the more they can demand from their leadership, a, a leadership that looks more and more like Jesus, like Christ. Jesus Christ. And mm. that is where we, we, mm. the church needs to be going. Mm. Wow. Okay, so listeners, on that note, I'd like to leave you here. Reflect on these Think on these things and, and let's see Christ be revealed in us. Thank you very much for being with us on the Simply Christ podcast. See you next time.